Jesus, I'm so moved um, by the recognition that though we think that we see things clearly, we are often so blind. And Lord, how often people who we would not give the respect or assume that they see things accurately, how they end up seeing things clearly. And Lord, for the blind, for those that see, and all of us in between, you have come to rescue all of us, that we might see in your light. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us this morning. As we go to your word, would you speak to us, Jesus? John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Lord, speak to us from your word. Amen. You know, I remember growing up, I grew up in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, um, on 47th Street and 4th Avenue. I could tell you uh, the exact apartment number. It's, those things kind of remain etched in our memories. How many remember their first phone number? It's the weirdest thing. I, I mean, things you forget, but that phone number, I could tell it to you like that. The apartment number, apartment four, 4706 4th Avenue, that was the building. And it was owned by a pair of brothers that actually had inherited quite a bit of New York real estate from their father. They had so many buildings that um, they were probably under the category of being slumlords in that they didn't care for the buildings. They didn't have to. They actually had people on payroll at the Department of Buildings. And so when tenants would register complaints, um, it, nothing would ever happen. 
And so it was a very frustrating thing when we needed legitimate repairs. I remember in our kitchen, we were on the first floor. Now, mind you, this is like an over 100-year-old building, first floor, 4th Avenue. So it's somewhat tangential to the, uh, the N and the R subway line. And so anything that's connected to the subway system, you know that it has the potential to expose you to some otherworldly creatures. And so we had this massive hole underneath our kitchen, uh, the sink. And so every now and then we would get visitors from below. I'll never forget the first time I saw a rat. Oh man, I had thought I've seen rats, but no, this one was the size of a possum. It was, and I remember I saw it and I had an involuntary groan. I, it didn't, it, I, my body didn't check with me. It just saw this thing and went, yeah, and like that. And I remember I chucked the shoe at it, and I'll never forget, the rat literally saw the shoe, it looked at me, and it kept walking. This was the most gangster rat I've ever seen. And so, in the frustration of that being our circumstances, we would always be happy when there was this one particular repair guy that would come. He worked for the landlord. When he would come, we would be hopeful because we knew he cared. We knew despite the fact that this wasn't his building, he had a sense of ownership. And he cared and he would actually try to resolve things. I think about that when it comes to this season that we're celebrating, Advent. Advent is a season that the church has historically celebrated. It's the, it's the last four Sundays right before Christmas Day, the church has paused and looked at the miracle of the incarnation and celebrated this incredible thing that God has done entering into his creation, coming into his very story. And this is what's remarkable about our faith that I think it's important for us to put our finger on, name it, own the uniqueness of it, and revel in the beauty of it. And that is, in our faith, God sends himself. The rescue that ultimately we needed, God did not put on the shoulders of a prophet, of a messenger. No, he sends himself. He comes into his own story to redeem, to rescue and that sets the stage for what our faith is and what our faith isn't. Let's be clear, if God is sending himself, if he's entering into his very own creation to redeem and to rescue, then what our faith isn't, it isn't a journey of self-help. To follow Jesus is not a journey of you and I trying to white-knuckle this and trying to get better and trying to improve. It's not a story of God coming to people that are slightly off and just need a little bit of assistance. You ever seen a kid in the, in the park and they're trying to like climb something and they just need a little push? It, it, the story of Christianity is not God coming to human beings who just need a little push to get on their way. No, the story of Christianity is human beings falling into a pit that they can't dig out of themselves and the living God entering into that pit himself to rescue us, to redeem us. It's a radically different point of departure when we recognize that our faith, God, sends himself. And in this chapter, 
It's interesting the way John writes about Jesus because I think it really resonates with this moment in history for us. He starts off, the first verse, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When he describes and calls Jesus the Word to the audience of that time, that would have really made their ears perk up because there was a group of thinkers called the Stoics, and they were people that were very given over to logic and to philosophy and to higher thought. And so John says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the higher thought, the originating thought, where all truth flows from. So these philosophers must have been like, oh, wait a second, we didn't know that Jesus was described that way. Maybe we want to know more about him. But then he flips it and says something that they wouldn't have been ready for. He says, this word was with God. Okay? He was with God. That's saying something, but he doesn't stop there. He says, this word was God. And at that point, John does something that our faith has always done, historically and continues to do. And that is that deeply, our faith often resonates deeply with culture and at the same token confronts culture with a totally different idea. Haven't you noticed that Jesus is claimed by both liberal and conservative? Haven't you noticed that Jesus seems to be able to be the hero of causes that contradict each other? Why is that? Because there's certain aspects of Jesus that deeply resonate with people no matter where they come from. But yet, let's be clear, Jesus is confronting all sides of the aisle. Jesus will not be co-opted. He will not be constrained. He will not become the poster child of this movement or that movement because though we may resonate with a Jesus that is for justice, for beauty, for equity in this world, the world doesn't disagree with that Jesus. We all want beauty. We all want justice. We all want right. But what the world resists is the idea that this same Jesus is also God. That the only path to beauty, to justice, to equity is by bowing our knee to him. That confronts our world. And that's something that we wrestle with. But John says that this Jesus who was the word he was with God, face to face. But he also says Jesus is God. And the very last verse we read, it describes as Jesus being in this perfect, harmonious relationship with the Father. But he doesn't just stop there. He says this Jesus, in him was life. And that when he came into this world, his life was in contrast with darkness. And here it gets quite interesting. He says that Jesus comes in with this life and that there's this existing darkness in the world and that the world did not recognize the light that was in the life of Jesus. How many have a difficulty in remembering people's names? You could, you could be honest. It's okay. It's a safe space. I'm raising my hand. Um, I'm a pastor. This is a very painful thing to admit. 
I have reintroduced myself to certain people like five or six times, and actually I kind of really welcome the mask because I could like blame the mask now. Oh, I'm sorry, this is, you know, your eyes, I don't know. But oh my gosh, it's so frustrating. I've tried things, I've gotten tapes on memorization. It's just bad. Um, it's a, but isn't it a frustrating thing to not be recognized, to be ignored, uh, to, to be overlooked? Could you imagine the Son of God enters into his own creation to redeem it, to rescue it, and we're told he's not recognized? He's living among his own creation and he's not recognized. This Jesus that has life, that is light, contrary to the darkness all around us, he's not recognized. And the question that we have to ask is how is Jesus not recognized? How does darkness not recognize light. Now, now, now picture you're in a dark room. Have you ever gone into an old school room that doesn't have a switch but has a string? Oh, you, it, it, if you haven't, go find yourself an old New York apartment and experience the frustration of entering into the room like this. <laughs> you're, you're looking for the string, right? It's dark. And what happens typically as you're looking for the string? Every possible thing you could trip on, it finds itself in front of you. And it doesn't matter if you've been in the room a thousand times and you have a sense of where it's configured, it's still hazardous. But you turn on the light, and what happens to the darkness? It dissipates. So it's an interesting thing that John is saying, Jesus' life is light, he enters into the darkness, but the darkness doesn't comprehend, it doesn't recognize it. What is happening here? In fact, when we go to John chapter 3, we get a profound insight as to why Jesus enters into his creation and is not recognized by his very own and the world doesn't recognize the light that was found in his life. Look at what John chapter 3 verse 19 says. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. What John tells us, it's not that people didn't recognize the light, it was simply that they loved the darkness more. It's not, how is it that you could see Jesus and not be arrested by the beauty of Jesus? It's literally impossible. Name someone else. Even if you are in this room and you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm not ready to sign off on the idea that he's God, let's just say that he was just an exemplary human being. How is it that you are not gripped by his life and pause and say, what is his life speaking? This is profound. How could we stare at his life and not be gripped? But we, we say he wasn't just an extraordinary human being. We echo what John said, that the word was with God and the word was God, that he is God himself coming into his story to rescue us. And this light has come, and yet we don't recognize it because John tells us, we love darkness more than we love light. What would make 
people feel safe in darkness. I have a friend that he told me the most amazing story. I feel like it should be a movie. He had a brother through mixed marriage. His mom um, married his dad, and as a result of that marriage, he now inherited a bunch of brothers and sisters. And at a young age, there was this one brother that he never forgot. He was really fun, really joyous, and from one day to the next, he was gone. They couldn't find him. It turns out this man had found a way to successfully live on the streets of New York for over 20 years. His survival story is amazing. I wish I could tell you all the details. I, I mean, my jaw dropped. I've heard some stuff in my life. I was like, oh, and, I, and it's, a, it's a friend of mine that he's credible. He's not prone to exaggerating. Uh, and so I was like, oh my gosh, even if 5% of this is true, this is the most remarkable story. When they finally got to the bottom and talked with them and said, what made you leave your family? What made you live in obscurity? In the wild, essentially, even though it's a city, on his own, what it boiled down to was he did not want the constraints of being told what he can and can't do. He had certain addictions that he wanted to continue to live out, and he knew the only way he could be free was to basically go in obscurity. I wish I could tell you that his story is so fringe and that we don't have any resonance with it, but the truth is our culture is constantly in arms at dissonance, in, in battle array against the Word of God, and often our culture gives us no choice. Either we bow our knee to Jesus, embrace the light, or we come to a place where we choose to love darkness in order that we might continue to live as gods unto ourselves. Saying, woo, it's kind of deep, Chris. I didn't have my coffee this morning. Could you slow that down? Could you bring it down? I'm glad you're there. When we go to Genesis 3, we read something quite profound. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what does the Scripture tell us they immediately did? If you don't know that passage, read it. It says they ran and hid. They went in. They wanted darkness to cover them. We are no different today. Often we resist the light of Jesus, not because it's, uh, it lacks beauty, not because it lacks insight, but because to love darkness means we don't have to confront ourselves. To be in darkness unto ourselves means we can continue to choose to be in denial about our, our our faults, our shortcomings, the areas that God wants to change in us, if we choose to continue to love darkness and remain in obscurity, we don't have to face the things that we will have to face in the light. To come out of darkness, to choose to not love darkness and actually embrace what the light is trying to tell us may mean that we may have to repair certain relationships that while we were in darkness, we were convincing ourselves that we were in the right. But now when we come to the light, we have to recognize, maybe I contributed to that. 
Maybe I have some stuff to own. In the darkness, you and I could tell ourselves that we are a lot more generous and kind than we really are. I had a conversation with a pastor recently. He's a good friend of mine, so I was able to kind of make fun of him and, and have a good time at it. And he, he just, he kind of comes down on himself, and I'm trying to encourage him. I'm like, man, you're a really great leader. I really respect you. His church during the pandemic, they launched a mental health clinic, like a fully credited license. I was super proud of him, but yet he's still kind of down on himself. It's just, and so he says, man, I think people stay in my church because I'm really kind not because I'm a great leader. And I just couldn't resist that moment. I was like, can I tell you the truth? You're not that kind. <laughs> so I've not experienced such immense kindness from you. Can I tell you, you are a good leader. That's why people respect you. Sometimes we could lie to ourselves and not be honest with who we are. And in the darkness, we could actually not see ourselves fully as God sees us. Some of us in this room, we're constantly beating ourselves up. We have negative self-talk. We, we cheat ourselves out of God's blessings because we tell ourselves we're unworthy, we're undeserving, that God's grace couldn't possibly lift us up and use us. There's so much that happens when we choose to love darkness and rather than see ourselves in the light of Jesus. But during this season... We celebrate the glorious gospel, the good news that comes to us through the incarnation, that God tells us during Advent that he loves us, darkness and all. God loves us in this room, whether we lie to ourselves, whether we think we're better than we are, whether we're in denial, whether we have habits and addictions that are not healthy. God loves that person, the real you and I. Not the facade built up, not the superficial. God is not waiting for you to get your stuff together to then lavish you with his love. No, God is unrelenting in his love toward us. He sees us as we fully are. Even when we're surrounded by darkness, he loves us fully. That's what we celebrate during this season. If you want to know the audacity of this season and why we gather as a church and why we push through despite all the difficulties that there are in trying to be the people of God in a city like this, the reason why we do so is because this season reminds us of the audacious love of God, a love that pursues the most broken, a love that sees us as we fully are and yet steps to us in full force love. There is no love like the love of Jesus, none. All other loves are withholding to some degree. All other loves are performance-based. But this love that we celebrate during this time is the most contrary, upside-down, mind-boggling love that we have ever experienced. When you least deserve it, it's the most present. When you're not looking for it, His love is looking for you. When you're lost and wandering, His love pursues us and calls us back home. This season, we celebrate that God is in fact a reckless lover. He pursues us. 
He rescues us. And He comes to declare truth that the darkness has tried to obscure. While we love darkness and remain in darkness, we're so prone to believe lies. We're so prone to believe that God loves us based on our good works, and He doesn't love us when we miss the mark. We're so prone to believe such false lies about our God. We're so prone to believe lies about sin. You know, every sin that tempts us promises the rainbow, but only ever delivers the thunderstorm. It promises relief, it promises goodness, but it never delivers on that promise. It, it, it promises freedom, but it only delivers slavery. And in the darkness, those lies come after us, but in His glorious love, we actually get to hear the contrary word. We hear a God say that He's made us worthy. Through the cross, through the sacrifice of His Son, we hear God say, despite what the darkness has told you, I've made you to live with me, to love me, to trust me, to walk with me. I created you for good things, and I want to use you. I have a purpose for you. This season, more than anything, invites us to come out of the darkness. This season of Advent confronts us and reminds us that we can't save ourselves, that we needed God to enter into his own story, to pull us up. So if anything, this season invites us to be fully honest in ways that the darkness has told us don't dare be that honest. This season invites us to declare our brokenness fully, our addictions, our struggles. This season invites us to no longer de deny the true state of our hearts and to recognize we need his redeeming, rescuing, pursuing love. Rather than being disoriented by the light, what would it look like for you and I to begin to adjust to the light of God's love and to come out of darkness? If you're not a follower of Jesus, the scriptures say that you're living in darkness doesn't mean you're not a, a nice person and you don't contribute to society, but it does mean you don't see things the way he wants you to see them. You don't see yourself properly. You don't see the world in reality. You don't see him, most importantly. And to follow Jesus means you stepping out of that darkness, almost like a blind person, letting someone lead you out until you begin to regain sight. But if you are a follower of Jesus, let's not kid ourselves. The very people that Jesus came to his own, they didn't recognize him. Religious people often can have the most spiritual blindness because we think we can't fit that. We think that we know something that makes us unqualified to ever be in darkness, yet how often, if we're honest, we can be unkind, unloving, and the world can actually like confront that in us. We can see more acts of kindness and beauty being done by people that don't follow Jesus, that should alarm us, that should awaken us and say there's something off. If people that don't follow Jesus seem to live a little bit more like him than we do, 
It's time to admit our own darkness, our own culpability, and say, Jesus, I need the light that's found in your life. As the worship team comes forward, could I invite us to stand? And as we stand, as we enter into this time of prayer and worship before we dismiss, I want to encourage you, at any given moment during this time, you can step out of your seat and go to the back, to, to the left, to my left, to your right. The prayer team will be back there waiting. You can receive prayer for anything you're carrying in your soul, anything the message has spoken to you, any single thing. We would love to pray with you during this time before we go. But right there, right where we're at our, in our seats, can I invite you just to close your eyes just for a moment? And if you feel comfortable, can I invite you to raise your hands in a posture of surrender, in a posture of letting go, ready to receive? And in your own words, could you come to God and ask him, Lord, reveal my darkness, reveal my blindness, reveal areas where I don't see you accurately, where the darkness has lied to me and obscured who you really are. Reveal areas of my life where I tend to justify and excuse away the darkness in my own heart. Jesus, set us free. Speak to us. Fill this room, fill our hearts with the light of your life. Let's worship God together.